Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. President Trump gives a shout-out to Kim Jong-un while issuing a stern warning to Iran over its nuclear program. Plus, a new money trail leads to new questions for the president's personal attorney, Michael Cohen. This is The State of America Tonight. The world has learned that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is on his way back with three American prisoners. It will be, uh, I think, a very special time. Nobody thought this was going to happen. We should be enforcing the deal, not blowing up the deal. The United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. I just don't think it's a wise move at this point. When I make promises, I keep them. Michael Cohen should not have been accepting money from anyone with Russian ties. They're paying him for access to the president. I would never, ever take CIA back to an interrogation program. Hello, everyone. I'm John Avalon, live in New York. To our viewers watching around the world, this is the State of America. Credit and criticism for President Trump this Wednesday as his foreign policy strategy is put to the test in the Middle East and beyond. First up, an area where many people should give the president a lot of credit. After a stunning announcement on U.S. prisoners held in North Korea, an announcement that was made where else but on Twitter. The president saying, quote, I am pleased to inform you that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is in the air and on his way back from North Korea with three wonderful gentlemen that everyone is looking forward to meeting. Now, Mr. Trump went on to say that he will personally greet the detainees when they arrive at Andrews Air Base at 2 a.m. Thursday. Nobody thought this was going to happen. And if it did, it would be years or decades, frankly. Nobody thought this was going to happen. And I appreciate Kim Jong-un doing this and allowing them to go. A Republican senator on the Foreign Relations Committee hailed the news as well as the president's role in it. President Trump is reasserting American leadership, restoring American power around the world. When the president of the United States, President Trump, speaks, people listen. But a former State Department spokesman says that while the president and his team do deserve praise, it is far too early to say what, if any, influence it will have on that all-important face-to-face meeting with Kim Jong-un. This is what we're getting in return for giving them a big concession, which is having the president of the United States sit down with the North Korean dictator. This is a transaction, and we need to look at it that way. It is obviously great news, and I don't mean to diminish that, but it is a transaction that gets us to the summit, and, and it doesn't guarantee anything beyond that. 
And with that, we turn to the criticism as President Trump makes good on his campaign pledge to pull the United States out of the Iran nuclear deal. The Iran deal is defective at its core. If we do nothing, we know exactly what will happen. Today's action sends a critical message. The United States no longer makes empty threats. When I make promises, I keep them. And Mr. Trump issued this warning just a short time ago. What are you going to do if Iran starts up their nuclear program again? Iran will find out. They're going to find out. I don't think they should do that. I would advise Iran not to start their nuclear program. I would advise them very strongly. If they do, there will be very severe consequence. The move drew immediate reaction from both sides of the aisle, including the man whose administration helped broker the deal. In a statement, former President Barack Obama said in part, quote, Indeed, at a time when we are all rooting for diplomacy with North Korea to succeed, walking away from the GCPOA risks losing a deal that accomplishes with Iran the very outcome we are pursuing with North Korea. That is why today's announcement is so misguided. Now, as you might expect, the president's national security advisor sees things just a little bit differently. Here's John Bolton. I think it sends a very important message to North Korea that we're not in these negotiations with them just to get a deal. We're going to get the right deal. Now, Senator Jeff Flake, the Arizona Republican who has been a vocal critic of the president, says more details are needed on the next steps. I think that it's fair to ask a day after, what is plan B? Uh, How do we address those other activities that Iran is involved in that need to be addressed and still make sure that uh, they uh, hold to their agreements on the nuclear side? With our unilateral uh, withdrawal, I just don't see how that's going to happen. Now to the Russia probe. And on the day that the latest member of Trump's legal team is just settling into the job, new questions are circling around his personal attorney, Michael Cohen. Sources tell CNN that investigators working with Robert Mueller have questioned a Russian oligarch about payments to Cohen after the election, payments that soared into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that comes as the attorney for Stormy Daniels, who received hush money from Cohen days before the election, says he has new proof of these new transactions. And look, what's the explanation for the half a million dollars worth of payments? I mean, Michael Cohen should not have been accepting money especially under the circumstances at this time, from uh, anyone with Russian ties, quite frankly. Now, we should note that CNN has reviewed but not independently authenticated those documents. Now, joining me now from Washington is CNN crime and justice reporter Shimon Prakupes. Shimon, untangle this web for us. Yeah, it's quite the web, uh, John. When you think about it, uh, the connections here uh, are not something that are just simple to explain. So, so let me just take you through it quickly. So Michael Cohen uh, was essentially employed, was getting money, was in business with a New York company. It was a financial investment company called Columbus Nova. That company is linked to a Russian oligarch, Victor Vexelberg. The person who runs Columbus Nova is the cousin of Victor Vexelberg. The two of them attended the inaug- Trump's inauguration together. Uh, the cousin's name is uh, Andrew and Trader. He also donated some over to, uh, close to three hundred thousand uh, dollars. Some of it to the inauguration, some of it to the RNC. Uh, so that certainly uh, was what some of what. 
caught the eye of the special counsel. Uh, we know that Victor Veckelsberg, when he visited the U.S. Uh, a couple of months ago, he was stopped by the FBI. They met him at an airport. They questioned him at the airport. Uh, they had search warrants for his phones. Uh, and some of the questions had to do with some of these payments. And certainly the, the what the special counsel, uh, as we've reported, has been looking at is whether or not any Russian money uh, where the cutouts were used, U.S. cutouts, Americans were used, yeah to finance some of the campaign or some of the folks close to the president. And certainly the optics in terms of Michael Cohen are, are very bad here uh, because of the connections of this company uh, to, to the Russian oligarch. That obviously also caught the attention of the special counsel, uh, as well as another company, you know, which also put out a statement today saying that they were contacted by the special counsel uh, in 2017. They cooperated with them. Uh, all of these payments now, it seems, that, that went into this essential consultant's account are, are being screwed by the special counsel, John. Well, a half million dollars from a Russian oligarch to the president's personal attorney is not a best practice. Shimon, thank you very much. And finally, on to Capitol Hill, where Gina Haspel is on the hot seat in her quest to be the next director of the CIA. President Trump's pick is coming under withering scrutiny for her supervision of a CIA black site prison in Thailand and for her role in the destruction of CIA interrogation tapes. Haspel was also pressed on what she would do if President Trump, who has said in the past that he believes that, quote, torture works, asked her to carry out an order that she would consider objectionable. Take a listen. Senator, my moral compass is strong. I would not allow CIA to undertake activity that I thought was immoral, even if it was technically legal. Um, I would absolutely uh, not permit it. So you would not follow the order if you felt it was... No, um, I believe that CIA must undertake activities that uh, are consistent with American values. But for one Republican senator who was at one point rumored to be a contender for the top job at the CIA, the uproar over Haspel boils down to one simple word, partisanship. If Gina Haspel being tough on terrorists is the worst thing the Democrats have on her, then that's not much of a case against her. When John Brennan and Jim Clapper, the director of the CIA and director of national intelligence for Barack Obama, don't just support Gina, but actively and openly advocate for mm -hmm. her. On what possible grounds are these right. Senate Democrats opposing her, other than the fact that Donald Trump nominated her? The White House, as it said, it expects a close vote on Haspel, who, if confirmed, would be the first woman ever to head the CIA. Now, coming up, two big items off the president's diplomatic to-do list with decidedly mixed reviews. A bold win in North Korea, but a big thumbs down from American allies on ditching the Iran deal. The panel and their scorecards are next. My number one priority is to dismantle the disastrous deal with Iran. That was candidate Donald Trump back in March of 2016. Not a lot of wiggle room in that campaign promise, and now he's officially pulled the United States out of the Iran nuclear deal. Here's another commitment. Would you speak to the leader of North Korea? I said, absolutely. Why not? Promises made, promises kept. Almost. Talks are expected, of course, soon. And just hours ago, three Americans who had been detained in North Korea are now free and headed back to the United States. Now, the president takes it personally when he thinks he's not getting enough credit for his achievements. This morning, he tweeted this. 
The fake news is working overtime. Just reported that despite tremendous success we are having with the economy and all things else, 91% of the network news about me is negative, paren, fake. Why do we work so hard and work with the media when it is so corrupt? Take away credentials? Take away credentials. Well, Mr. President, that's not the way things work in America. And here to prove it is our panel tonight. Steve Cortez, CNN political commentator and former Trump campaign advisor. Mark Lamont Hill is a CNN political commentator, host of BET News and a professor at Temple University. Errol Lewis, CNN political commentator and political anchor at Spectrum News. And Margaret Hoover is a CNN political commentator, a Republican consultant, and full disclosure, my bride. It is good to have you all here today. Errol, I'm going to start with you. President, big win in North Korea. These hostages coming home. His tough talk does seem to have reshuffled the calculus in the region. Shouldn't everyone, Democrats, Republicans, and independents, give him credit for this? Everyone should cheer the removal of people from captivity and their welcome home. I mean, that is the, the, the number one issue today. Um, as far as uh, an overarching policy, is this the right way to go? Is this the right way to do things? I think people should sp- stick to their commitments. If you believe in a multilateral approach, if you believe in um, sort of uh, making sure that our allies know where we stand and that we are going to be staunch and consistent, not just on um, hard-edged diplomacy, but also on human rights and democracy, um, th- there are questions that should be asked. And that's a fair point, obviously. The North Korean negotiations haven't even begun, and we'll judge the proof is in the pudding. But, Steve, to that extent... You know, the president's big on fulfilling campaign promises. He is big on saying, you know, he fulfilled that. But the consequences don't always seem to fit into his calculus. What is plan B for the president on the Iran deal? Well, you know, listen, he is keeping promises. I think he's president promise keeper. Uh, in terms, in terms <laughs> of Iran. Have you trademarked that? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Just check. Uh, in, in terms of Iran, uh, there is a plan B, and plan B has already started, which is sanctions to try to squeeze the Iranian regime, which is abusing not only its own people, but the entire region through its adventurous terrorism uh, throughout the mm-hmm. Middle East. So squeeze them financially uh, to try to force them to act better. And I would, I would add, so that there's pressure from within Iran on the Iranian regime to either act responsibly or get lost. Is it uh, another degree of that pressure, potentially, that they would re-accelerate their nuclear program? It's a possibility, of course. <laughs> okay, uh, just check it. The because, most likely possibility. Okay. No, no, th- that, that was happening anyway. That's the point. Is, is the beast, we, we already know the beast, and we know what the beast is doing in Lebanon, in Syria, in Yemen. We know what they're doing internally with their nuclear program. Starve the beast. Don't give the beast cash. Don't send literally pallets of cash, billions of dollars of cash, in the middle of the night secretly. Don't okay, well, hold on. Your that's, that's, that's not accurate. It is their money that's being sent back to them. But, Mark, you, you well, clearly I was want to jump say, here. So go ahead. The billions that are being given them were, were frozen dollars. Also, also for a very good reason, by the way. Yeah, yeah but that's, that's still right. different than suggesting that we're giving them money. I don't want people to think, watch the show and think we're talking about them giving them money. Right. The other thing here, I think, is that we've seen what happens when we try to topple regimes, right? It, does, it doesn't work particularly in the Middle East. We said, oh, Libya, we can change from the inside. Sort of like Clinton with uh, Muammar Gaddafi in Libya? Again, yeah. agreed. So that's why I'm not, not Clinton, Obama, Obama, excuse Obama, me. That's well, why Secretary not, Clinton. That's why I, thought, I assumed you meant Secretary Clinton. Yes. But that's why I'm not making a case for Secretary Clinton or the Obama administration in right. Libya. I'm making the case that in, at every moment in Middle East policy, the United States has intervened and made bad choices. In this case, with regard to Iran, keeping a a campaign promise means that you further isolate the United States, which is a problem. And you you said that it's it's been proven that they're already moving toward a nuclear weapon. Actually, there's no evidence of that. All the evidence suggests that they weren't doing that. This actually, I think, will increase the likelihood because they have no reason to believe that we keep our promises. Look, the idea that if we allow them to pursue ballistic missiles and nuclear technology at the same time, marry the two of those is not difficult at all. But that's a counterfactual hypothetical. That's what's not happening. Let me just 
just jump in here. Yes, they're pursuing ballistic missiles, and that's a real concern, but not at the same time they've been pursuing nuclear technology. That's what I'm technology. saying. That's that's they're not pursuing nuclear technology, right. and the whole point of this no, deal was to prevent they that. They are pursuing which is, nuclear power generation. Which is, uh, and if, just you, just if, if you can generate nuclear power and you have ballistic missiles, it is not very difficult to put the two together. Which is a very different argument and, than saying that that's what they're right. actively doing, which is what you initially I'm, said. But can I just I'm, finish? I'm throwing down the referee card because I want to get other folks in, but I think it's important we got a fact-based debate on this stuff and not simply, you know, all the bluster. Margaret Hoover, you fully understand the pressures of the White House. There is tension between the press and the president. That's built in the system. So why can't this president resist not just attacking the news, but conflating news he doesn't like with fake news? Not the same thing. No, it's not, it's not the same thing at all. But look, he does deserve a victory lap here. And I think also there's a, there is an instinct from people who like him and people who don't like him to not... To, to sort of criticize him for following through on campaign promises. I mean, he, he did say he was going to do this. I don't know why we're all so surprised. He also said he's going to pull out of Paris, the Paris Climate Accords. I don't know why we're all so surprised. I mean, I think there was a high hope that he wouldn't mean anything he said when he was campaigning, but here he is delivering what <laughs> he's delivering on what he said. Right? <laughs> Highest and best hope. But that's, but that's ended up really happening. So I, I actually, I don't think it's about fake news or not fake news. Well, you know, he, give he credit, give credit where credit is due to the extent that he's, which he's we are, delivering which on let his... Let the record show we yeah. are doing, but the president still can't seem to resist the drift of conflating with news he doesn't like with fake news, right. and I mean, that's look, dangerous. The, the, the original meaning of fake news is the, the things where uh, hackers in, in, uh, in Eastern Europe would put out blatantly false information. The Pope has endorsed Donald Trump, things right. like that, just to get clickbait, just to make a little bit of money. Utterly fake news, no foundation to it, no truth to it, no, not even an attempted truth. He has then appropriated that and said that applies to anybody who's critical of me. And so it, it sows a great deal of confusion. And for him to simply say any criticism of me is by definition fake and all I need is credit, if nothing else, I think uh, for, for in, in our democracy where we have hired the president, mm -hmm. if you have an employee who says you have to praise him every day, or else what you're doing is illegitimate, um, I, I'd say that person wouldn't last very That's long. That's a dysfunctional workplace. I, I will criticize the president, which I don't do very often. Uh, I'll, criticize him, I'll, I'll criticize him on this point. This. No, and I, by the way, I think he has every right. He is entitled to fight back against the press at every turn. But when he talks about credentials, uh, that reeks of censorship. And I think that's un-American, sure. and I wish he wouldn't do that. He should absolutely Good counter them. Uh, I think there's a lot of false narratives out there that the mainstream media pushes against him unfairly and continually. Fight back against that with your words, not with talking about does it trouble you when, when foreign dictators like Assad or people like Putin pick up that mantle of fake news that they've heard our president legitimize? Well, uh, look, I, the, the, yes, it troubles me. However, the fake news was not the creation of Donald Trump. The fake news was the creation of a media which has decided that it is going to be almost entirely oppositional to him. I think it's the discourse, though. I, I agree Donald Trump didn't create it, but he normalized a discourse in a climate where we talk about things and dismiss things as fake news that don't cohere with our beliefs or our desires or things that are favorable to us. I think in many ways, though, that has made that has been a, a source of strength for Donald Trump. I mean, in doing so, he's been able to, to dismiss stories that may otherwise have become central to the news cycle. I think it's worked with his base, just like the campaign promise keeper thing. It keeps with his base. He can say, look, I said I'd move Jerusalem. I did it. I said I was going to back out of Iran. I did it. I backed climate change backed out of it, and so forth and so on. So he can actually run on a record of fulfilling promises, which is something presidents aren't known for doing. So whether it's good or bad for the country is a different thing, but it might be good for Donald Trump. Well, ideally what's good for the president should be good for the country. Not always so. Mark Lamont Hill, thanks for ending up there. But you'll be back in a second. Coming up, we got a big night of primary elections setting up this year's pivotal midterms. And a must-win for the president as a controversial Republican candidate comes up short. The panel is back for this surreal story.
and the uh, father-in-law is, uh, you know, is a wealthy kind of person. I don't see this uh, insinuation by the press that there's something racist about saying a China person. Some people are Korean persons and some of them are African persons. It's not any slander there. I will beat Joe Manchin and ditch cocaine Mitch for the sake of the kids. I'm basically Trumpier than Trump. Ditch cocaine Mitch for the sake of the kids. My favorite quote of the campaign so far. That was Republican Senate candidate Don Blankenship accusing Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell of having ties to the Chinese drug trade. Now, McConnell got the last laugh, though, and Blankenship lost last night as McConnell's team used the Narcos TV show to tweet this troll to Mr. Blankenship. Ah, cocaine Mitch. Establishment politicians won some, and they lost some during Tuesday's primary elections across America. Let's go back to our panel. This is sort of the first Super Tuesday of the primary season. High stakes. Two big takeaways for me. One, the extreme candidates lost. The folks who were really blank and ship, and Dennis Kucinich on the left, did not succeed. The center seems to have held. But bad night for incumbents. And Steve Cortez, I want to start with you. Republican incumbents trying to rise up the ranks, and one congressman who lost in North Carolina. Right. Doesn't that send not only a bad message for folks currently occupying the office, but for Republicans this fall? Oh, I, I, yes, on both counts, I think. Uh, the fact that Rokita, for instance, in Indiana was unable to win a statewide race. It used to be that if you were sitting congressman uh, and you were not running against other congressmen, it was almost a sure thing yeah. that you would win a statewide race. So I think there is incredible anti-congressional sentiment out there in general uh, toward both parties. But given that the Republicans are in control, and given the history of the first midterm of a presidential term being disastrous, uh, yeah, I think the deck is stacked against Republicans. It's going to be a real uphill battle. Now, Errol, one of the fascinating things about this Blankenship race just wasn't that he wanted to be Trumpier than Trump, but he was really surging in the polls. Now, the president stepped in, warned people not to vote for him, and they didn't. But listen to this support, this clip from a West Virginian who supported Blankenship, because it speaks a lot to the heart of populism in the country today. Let's listen. Three of your cousins died in that mine disaster, and you're going to vote for Blankenship. Exactly. I want an honest crook, and that's Blankenship. I want an honest crook, and that's Blankenship. Errol Lewis. Well, um, hard to explain uh, to non-Americans who are watching this, but uh, the reality is Blankenship, is, is, he's on probation. He is a criminal. He's a convicted criminal. Um, he was involved in a disastrous uh, mine accident that killed 29 people. Now, in almost any other circumstance, in almost any other jurisdiction, frankly, he wouldn't get to first base as a candidate. Uh, but the fact that he was taken seriously, um, the person that we just saw, that's the kind of thinking that's out there. And when you say Trumpier than Trump, you're talking about a certain kind of appeal um, that relies more on style and swagger, not so much on actual policies. And Substance or character. And, yeah. yeah. And, he, and he didn't have, for being Trumpier than Trump, he kind of delivered a deadpan. You know, he, he really, yeah, he really didn't he have the, like, the Trump bombast that you really need to be Trumpier. No, but I think, what, I think yeah. what we know is, from this, not a lot of surprises in the sense that Republicans are very likely to keep the Senate in the fall. I mean, that's not that's well, a surprise. I mean, However, depends on the size of the win. We're, one of the narratives coming out of this is that the extremes aren't winning. And let me just tell you, last night in some of these House races, suburban districts that really have uh, districts that don't go for Trump or didn't go for Trump very much aren't going to sustain a blue wave, even though the primary candidates were Trump candidates that won. So what you, we, we did set the table for last night, if you scratch below the surface, are Republican candidates who won primaries who may be Trump-centric now, but are not suited for suburban districts that didn't go for Trump by a lot, I, I think which sets you the, up that, for a blue wave. That's the swing that's the real problem. No, I, I think that's right, and I, I think it's also important to talk about what we mean when we say Trumpier than Trump, or what it means to be a Trump candidate, because Trump in many ways is like a green screen. 
and people project mm-hmm. on him all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. There are times when people would mean it as a proxy for a certain kind of intolerance. Sometimes it's a proxy for a certain kind of hawkishness, as we see just in the last few months. Other times it's about economic uh, or fiscal responsibility or discipline. There are lots of things that people project on him. So if you're going to go into the fall as a Trump candidate, it's very important that you are clear about what you mean by that. Are you aligning yourself with building a wall, or are you saying you want to be tough on Kim Jong-un? Or, Two different things. Or do you benefit from the obscurity of that definition itself? Let me and ask that you depends this. on the geography. Democrats have a civil war as well as the Republicans. Yeah. The progressive wing has been angry at the center. Dennis Kucinich didn't win in Ohio last night. Rod Cordry, generally considered to be the better candidate for the general election, won. Yeah. What do you think is the state of that populist anger on the left right now? Again, you know, it's tough to make Ohio a a measure of that because, again, those are very complicated politics there. But I think what people are looking for now from the left is a populist candidate of their own. There's a whole lot of Hillary regret where people Mm -hmm. say, hey, maybe if we'd run Bernie, maybe if we'd run a populist against Donald Trump, maybe we could have won. Because clearly this wasn't a a content argument. Do you think that? Uh... I think everything looks better in retrospect. I, 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 <laughs> I, I think, too, within the Democratic Party, uh, there's, a, there's a battle going on, and, and Nancy Pelosi went on record about this, of if we take control to impeach or not to impeach, right? And she came down on the, we don't want to go down that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's very smart for the Democrats, because Trump's not on the ballot, which is a good thing for the Democrats. If they put him on the ballot mm-hmm. by, by, by getting close mm-hmm. to that impeachment mm-hmm. edge, right. I think then the Republicans' chances rise dramatically right. because the Trump base becomes mobilized. Totally Only poll that counts as the one on election day as we continually look. Thank you very much, everyone. And this is day 475 of President Trump's administration. And that means only 181 days till the midterm elections. That is the state of America tonight. Check out our podcast. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on your favorite app. And we will see you back here tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.